On today's episode, I'm super excited to introduce you to Carol Mahoney. Carol is the founder of Unbound Growth, an organization that takes the guesswork out of sales performance using science, data, and human nature. She coaches Harvard MBA students on sales techniques and skills, and she is in the process of writing her first book, which we'll find out more about. Carol, Welcome to the spotlight and thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm excited to be here. I love love this topic of women in sales and and everything that it entails. Well, th- I I appreciate you taking the time. So why don't we just start out and you can tell us a little bit about your journey into sales. You know, it's funny. I was just talking with one of my clients and they asked, "How did you get into sales?" and I said, "Kicking, screaming the entire way." And they just <laughs> kind of looked at me like, "What?" True. <laughs> Um, I actually was one of those people, like the majority of people who have this negative perception of sales, wanted nothing to do with it. I had so many opportunities early in my career to get into sales, and I ran as far and fast away from it as I could because my perception of sales was pushy, slimy, sleazy salesperson and used car salesman, like, you know, the metaphors that we've all come to think of sales for the most degree. Um, And then when I started my own business, I actually started a marketing agency and I found myself hitting this wall and my business wasn't doing well and I was failing. And I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. I, I couldn't fail at this. And I decided that it was time to hire a sales coach uh, because I had hired a business coach and I had tried everything. I had tried every spin selling, solution selling, question-based selling, value selling, every sales training methodology you can think of. I tried them all and still was falling flat on my face and didn't know what I was doing wrong. So I hired a sales coach and that's when I started to change my mindset about what sales really was, that selling isn't something we do to other people to push or manipulate or, or persuade them to do what we want them to do. It's really about understanding and helping and influencing so that people can make the best decisions for the problems that they have. That I could do. The whole pushy thing, I couldn't do that. It wasn't in my nature. So that's kind of how I got into sales. And and it had such a transformational effect on me that I looked at my business model and I completely changed it. I wanted to be able to do for others what my mentor and coach had done for me and changing my mindset. And and really, it's kind of actually what caused me to dig into the science and the data and the human nature and the psychology of sales, because selling is about behaviors. And if we can master our own mindsets and behaviors, then it's much easier for us to be able to do that for other people. And so I am on a mission. I want to change the face of sales. I want to change the perception of sales because if I had realized this so much earlier in my life, where could I have, what could I have done differently? Where could I have been now? It's like kind of the thing that kept echoing in my head. So I loved working with anyone who's trying to be better in sales, whether it's a business owner or an individual contributor or a manager who's trying to build their team up, that's, I I talk to salespeople all day long and on purpose, which confounds my parents. (laughs) Really? (laughs) They were like, I don't really know what it is you do. (laughs) Yeah, like you talk to salespeople every day on purpose. Maybe we need to start taking a further look at that, Carol. But, you know, it's it's interesting because, you know, you know, Girls Who Sell is is really focused on um, working with high school and college aged uh, young women in particular. And so I, I, I feel like you're the poster ch- child for, um, you know, for, for girls who sell in a way, because mm-hmm. um, that's the thing that we're trying to do is position sales as a viable career choice. So I'm curious, you know, why 
you know, the, the negative perception of sales is still alive and well. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, and the broke culture is still alive and well. Um, yeah. so from your perspective, you know, what was it that really, you know, that aha moment, um, that shifted your mindset? Was it moving from, you know, sales is not selling, it's actually service. I think that's part of it. I, the, the real shift for me came when I realized that nothing I was doing was actually about me, right? Like mm-hmm. it was really always going to, it, the more I realized that it was about the other person and not about me, it was like there was this weight that had been lifted off my shoulders. It wasn't about how smart I was or wasn't. It wasn't about how um, how persuasive I was or wasn't or how much I had mastered something. It wasn't about uh, them accepting me or liking me. It was all about how well can I understand their problem and help them based on what I do know to guide them towards a decision that's going to make sense for them. Um, yeah. it, it was really, I think a lot of times we we don't like the idea of sales. We don't like the idea of being vulnerable and putting ourselves out there and, and facing the rejection. But when you realize one, that it's not about you, that makes the rejection easier to handle. But then it also completely shifts your thinking of your messaging and what you ask and your intentions in those questions when you make it all about the other person. It's, I have this silly little t-shirt that I wear here that you can see that it says it's not about me and it's upside down so that the person who's wearing the shirt can look down and remember that it's not about them. And that's the thing is we all need that reminder of it's not about what we want. It's about what our buyers want and our customers want. And we shift our mindset to that, what to say and what to ask becomes a lot more clear. Yeah, I love that. And it's really relevant because I spent my entire afternoon today um, preparing for a huge presentation that we have next week. And we were going slide by slide. and. what I realized is that we were so internal focused, right? Like as mm-hmm. we were going through this slide content, it was about, um, well, you know, we, we have this external agency that we utilize to help us with recruiting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, why, what does that, why is that important to the client? Like, why do they even care that exactly. we do that? Is that because it makes our job easier? Because we're, you know, or is it really because, you know, because of this partnership, we're going to be able to, you know, fill our pipeline, have an ability to hire, you know, more qualified candidates, whatever it is, you know, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so it's really interesting. So now this is just this new obsession. Is it, you know, what's in it for me? Yeah, I call it the wee wee factor. I actually got that wee-wee. phrase. The we, we factor is it we, me, and I all through my content and copy and talking like I'm we, weeing everywhere, or is it all about the other person? I actually heard that from uh, one of my early mentors was Brian Eisenberg, who wrote a marketing book called waiting for your cat to bark. Like the title kind of says it like we're, we're, we're treating our buyers like Pavlo's dogs. If we ring the bell enough that they're going to come running and our buyers actually act more like cats. They're not really interested in the bell that you're ringing. They don't care. They don't care. Uh, They care about what they're worried about, what they care about. And it comes through in all of the coaching that I do. I I was just got off of a coaching call with a young man who he's like, I got to call on this person. And, you know, I just want to ask him, are you going to go with this? or Are you going to go with that? I'm like, why would he answer your call? He doesn't he doesn't care that you need to know that 
You've right. got to find out what he does care about and ask those questions in order to find out what you do need to know. And it's, it's a mind shift. It's a, it's a total mindset shift. It, it definitely is a mind shift, but I, I imagine that you see that it correlates directly to, um, you know, higher close percentages, um, larger deals, you know, yep. deals moving more quickly through the, through the stages of the pipeline. I mean, do you have some data around that? I know you're, I know you're a data geek, so let's get into I the data. I am. Well, and so like, for example, LinkedIn just released some survey data not that long ago that said that 90% of B2B buyers will not respond to impersonal and irrelevant outreach. Like this is kind of, I think something we all know instinctively, you just have to do like a search on LinkedIn for LinkedIn spam posts. And you'll have at least half a dozen sales leaders that are spouting off about the impersonal messages that they're getting, right, because it's all right. about the person sending the message, not the person receiving the message. It was interesting. I had a, uh, a BDR that I had been coaching who really was struggling with setting sequences and automation and things like that and wasn't getting any responses and felt like he was beating his head against the wall. And through the coaching, I had helped him to understand like the, how to do the research and how to get inside the buyer's world and understand what's really important to them and, you know, picking up some things from there. And one day he gets on the call and he just looks at me and he has like tears in his eyes. And I'm like, what's wrong? What's going on? He goes, I just had a sales leader take a meeting with one of my reps. And at the end of the call, he actually played the call recording for me. And at the end of the call, the sales leader said, look, we weren't even looking into this solution. It was nowhere on my radar. But because this young man took the time to make a, a relevant message to me and did his research and didn't make it all about a product pitch, that's why I was willing to take this meeting and move forward with this. So you, someone needs to give him kudos. And he's like, I, he was in tears because it was like, he finally felt like he had broken through something and realized something. Um, and, you know, that's just one story of, I can't even tell you how many other stories that have come back to me where it's kind of funny because I'll have SDRs go to AEs and then managers, and that's how they start managing their teams. And it's like a virus that spreads in a good way. And they'll come back to me and it even impacts them in their personal lives. When they start realizing that it's all about the other person and not about them, it impacts their personal relationships. They've got better, you know, happier spouses. Some of them are getting engaged and married and all of these things. And so it's, it's sales is one of those things where it's, it just doesn't, it's not separated like personal and professional how you are in your personal is how you're going to be in your professional and vice versa. And so it's really about aligning who you are and your values and making it about the other person that that's the ROI of that. I mean, there's, there's a lot of data and science that talks about how you build trust and trustworthiness by focusing on the other person. Um, one of my favorite books on the subject is the code of trust, which was written by a gentleman named Robin Dreek. Um, and he's an FBI and CIA behavioral analyst. Hmm. whose job was to convince people in other countries to be spies for us, right? Like the counterterrorism units, like here's someone who knows how to build trust with someone who really doesn't want to trust you. And it, and again, it came, for him, it came back down to, it's got to be all about the other person. It applies to whether we're selling, whether we're managing, whether we're coaching or leading a company, it applies there too. Yeah, I agree. And, and uh, what's interesting is I was thinking this past week on, about conflict resolution, because I was, I don't know, it's just something that um, mm -hmm. struck me. I saw something. And so I did a, a LinkedIn post about it. And, and I imagine, um, you know, when you think about contract negotiations or any kind of conflict, whether it's within your business life or whether yep. it's in your personal life, um, having that mindset shift to, you know, it's not about you. So it's really 
beginning to understand, you know, what are the issues that your client or your partner or whatever is, is having, and then being able to leverage um, that understanding to better manage through conflict. So I think it applies yeah. not only to like getting new business. I mean, you're the expert, but I mean, to getting new business, but some of the things around negotiations and the other skills that are required as a part of sales, um, it probably works it equally does. as well. Yeah. I mean, and it, if you think of the n- rule 101 in negotiation is understand what the win is for the other person. Right. Well, you can't understand what the win is for the other person if you're so consumed about what the win is for you. For you. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too. So, so you mentioned I'm writing my, my first book. It's going to be called Buyer First because that's kind of the, like the, the premise of all of this. And there's tons of psychology and research in there. But what I found was interesting, again, LinkedIn did a survey a couple of years ago of, of sellers and asked how many of you think that you're buyer first? And I think it was like 65 or 67% of sellers said, well, we are, we're buyer first. We totally focus on our customer first. When they interviewed buyers, only 23% of them agreed. And here's oh, the thing that really stuck with me is a, in that same survey, they asked hiring, call. I know, right? <laughs> it's, it's a, it's, of course, it's a disconnect. But this was the, the thing is that in order for you to understand what the win is for someone else, in order for you to be able to ask questions and, and deliver statements of value to them, it's through the questions that you ask. But you only know about the questions to ask if you can actively listen. Active listening was the number one trait that buyers wanted sellers. It was the last trait that managers looked for in their people when they hired them. So there is there's this huge disconnect between like you even just said, with your presentation, we were so focused inwardly, we, we have to start focusing outwardly. And there's so many sales processes and techniques that they're focused on what we do inside of our company and our sales process. And we need to flip it around. We need to go outside in in order to design our sales processes and, and, and really do the training that we're doing of our teams. Because a lot of companies, they're creating the problems that they're trying to solve. Yeah. And how do you, how do you hire and train for active listening skills. I mean, because I do find uh, that there is a difference uh, Mm -hmm. not to gender categorize, but um, why not? Um, (laughs) um, You know, men and and women listen differently. You do. And, um, you know, I think, you know, I've said it before that, you know, men tend to listen to respond while women listen to understand. Mm -hmm. And, um, But I'm interested in, from your perspective of one, in the hiring process, how do you, um, I don't know, assess that, that skill and, and then how do you continue to develop that muscle when somebody is in your organization? Well, then that's one of the things that we do at Unbound Growth is that we actually train and coach sales leaders and business leaders and how to create systems and processes that are objective. And the very first step in that process is understanding what are the traits of the person who needs to be successful in the role, the characteristics, traits, skill sets, and mindsets, and then creating a profile based on that, writing a job description based on that, so that someone who's reading that job description can see, oh, that's me. That's that's something that I that I I'm like that person, versus a bulleted list of all of these different things and criteria that you need to have. That's that's really a job description, not a job posting ad. Um, But the next step that I really 
drill into the companies that I work with is that we actually use an objective assessment rather than our, we all have our own biases, right? We all have our preferences and experiences that shape those biases, which is why it's so hard to hire objectively why we have these gender issues. And so I use a third party assessment that has been used for the last 30 years, very specific to sales. There's over 2 million salespeople that have been evaluated. They, they check and uh, measure 21 different core competencies, and they compare the results of that to the profile that you're hiring for so that you're interviewing people regardless of gender or race or economic status, but you're interviewing those people based on their best fit for the job and the skills that are going to be needed in this environment. I think that's one of the other things that companies don't fully realize is that they try to hire from their competitor or someone who has an industry experience, but they don't take into consideration the fact that their buyer, their market, and their company culture isn't the same as their competitions. They're not in the same place. And so the person who's going to be best fit for this role has to be a best fit for the role with your market and your buyer and your customer. So by using the data to assess the skills and the mindset, we can be objective about who we interview and how we interview them. And what's interesting is I, I've actually been working with some companies and their DEI initiatives. And that was the first question they asked is this, will this help us to be more objective? I'm like, that is the whole point, the whole point of viewing this process, because you're taking the guesswork out of who can be successful. And you're only interviewing those candidates who have the traits to be happy and successful in that culture with that company and their buyer. Yeah, that it takes out the inherent bias in the in the hiring process, which is great. Right. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit. Let's just kind of shift gears just a little bit because um, I love the this concept of that you talk about um, in terms of taking the guesswork out of sales performance using science, data, and psychology. And, yes. uh, you know, I, I got to tell you, I mean, even just over the last two years, it's overwhelming to see the new technologies that are coming out every day. There's got to be mm-hmm. thousands of them. I get get hit up almost, well, several times a day with right. new technologies around, you know, outreach and integrating video and and, you know, managing a multi-channel sales cycle and, and all those kinds of things, right? And there's, there, it's just overwhelming. Um, and so what I, what I worry about, which kind of keeps me up at night, is that you know, we, we, seem to be, um, we seem to be moving towards this technology mindset, this technology, mm-hmm. technology enabling mindset. And I worry that it does take out the humanness of selling because at the end of the day, people do sell to people, right? And it's still based on relationships and it's still based on trust. And yeah, maybe it'll make you more efficient in your outreach, or maybe you can do a more creative, customized video that'll be, um, to your point, the, the BDR who you know um, was able to put together more personalized content and get a meeting. And that's phenomenal. But at the end of the day, you still had to get the meeting and then talk to somebody. So how do you how do you humanize, um, you know, the sales, not just the sales process, but the whole, you know, sales experience um, while we're trending towards this technology mindset? Yeah, I think that one of the reasons we're trending towards this technology mindset 
is that human behavior still remains a mystery to humans. <laughs> We're still trying to figure ourselves out. Why do we do the things that we do? Why do we not do the things that we know that we should do? You know, like, uh, I, I know that I shouldn't smoke cigarettes because it's bad for me, but I still do it anyway, right? And there's chemistry behind that and biology behind that. But at the end of the day, it's a lot easier to buy a piece of technology than it is to try to change someone's behavior or manage someone's behavior. You know, just ask anyone who's ever tried to lose weight or quit smoking or start a new habit. It's the harder thing to do. It's a lot easier to buy a piece of technology and then we believe that that technology is going to fix the human problem for us and it doesn't, it makes it worse, right? It's worse. If we're scaling crap <laughs> is what right. we're doing. And so that's why we're going towards this technology thing is because if you think about it, over the last five years, the salespeople, like barely 50% of salespeople make quota. That is despite the fact that we've gotten billions of dollars more in training and technology to try to make it better. And so it's, it's almost like I feel like the sales industry is kind of like throwing up their hands and giving up and say, okay, we're never going to make salespeople better. Let's see if we can get the machines to do it for us. <laughs> except, except that until we're comfortable with machines making life and death decisions with us, we're never going to trust machines to make decisions for us completely. Um, and so what I think of science and data and using human nature and psychology to improve sales, it's really about how do we manage behavioral change? How do we help people become aware of the things that are getting in their way and the triggers that makes that happen and develop the strategies and the habits to help them work through those things so that they can get to a different result? There's, there's different like psychological aspects. There's um, the theory of reasoned action or planned behavior, which is a psychological theory, which basically states what you think becomes how you behave, which becomes the results that you get. Uh, I believe that I can still lose weight even if I eat ice cream every night. Doesn't really line up with the ability to actually do that. Does that we not don't work? <laughs> no, apparently it oh, doesn't work. <laughs> you know, I used to have this thing that only the broken, the, only the unbroken cookies had calories in them, but if they were broken, it was okay. Like we find ways to justify things to ourselves, don't we? We sure and, do. And so using science, like the assessment that I mentioned, that's, that's where I start with all clients so that we can start at a base level objective assessment of what's actually going on here rather than what I think or what you think, because that's what's got us to this place is we're guessing. At best, it's an estimated guess. So using the science to narrow down that guesswork and using that data to then be able to see where do we need to focus with a particular individual and sharing that information with them to create the awareness even within themselves of, oh, so that's why that keeps happening to me. Now I'm ready to, with my own goals and my own personal ambitions, now I'm ready to start tackling some of these behaviors. And it comes down to if you want to have better sellers you've got and better human beings on your sales team, you've got to give them more human time with their managers to coach them one-on-one. -on -one. Because, you know, this, this concept that we have of throwing everybody into a training room and expecting them to come out better sellers later is so far gone that I don't even know why we're doing it anymore. It just doesn't match with how we learn as human beings and as adults. And it certainly doesn't line up with the results that we've been getting, yet we keep doing it over and over again. Right. Sort so, of the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same right? thing over and over and expecting a different result. Exactly. And we've been doing that in sales for how long now? How long? Yeah. And 
it's, it's in, and so when I look at science and data, it's looking at how do we change our behaviors? How do we change our mindsets? Because we can. Um, and giving people the tools to be able to do that. Yes, we can still use technology to make ourselves more efficient. You know, like without some of the tools that we have now, like how long would it take us to learn about our buyers? Technology has enabled us to be completely transparent with them. In fact, it's forced us to, and that's a good thing. Except now we're trying to use it to just, we think that if we just keep spamming people with all of these messages, eventually after the 15th time, it's going to get through. And it's just turning them off. And I'll tell you, it's... uh, and maybe I'm unique. I, I don't. I don't think I am. Though. I'm sure that you uh, are. I know that you. Are. <laughs> I but I mean, yeah. If the technology makes my job more efficient and improves results, great. But mm-hmm. I got to tell you, I I'm just an old fashioned gal, right? Like I've been doing sales for 35 years, and and um, you know, I I like solving problems and talking to customers and being in front of them and building the relationships. And, and I'm sorry, I, you know, the technology is just never going to replace that for me. It just won't. And, um, you know, so I'm not, while I love, while I appreciate um, the technology, sometimes I think it just makes my, my job much more complicated and I spend more time focusing on the technology or the broken technology half the time, um, then I do just doing my job, which is just, yeah. you know, being in front of customers. Yeah, there's some research that came out from HubSpot, uh, I think last year, late last year, around how much more email that people are sending. And I think it increased like between 40 or 50%, the amount of emails that people were receiving in their inbox. Yeah. But response rates dropped by over 20%. And so, yeah, and I've I've talked with people this week, just literally picking up the phone and calling people and they're actually answering the phone. It doesn't matter how many emails that I may have sent to them or how word, how well I crafted it or how personalized I made it. They're like, I've been just buried in email or, you know, this happened or that happened. (laughs) Thank you so much for calling me because it's so nice to to actually talk to a person. Yeah. So it's funny, like some it's so so it's it's almost like things that were old have become new again, picking up the phone and calling people, sending handwritten notes or little things just to say, hey, I was thinking about you. It has a huge impact because it's human. (laughs) Because it's human. I, I think I think we have to get back to basics. I, I think, you know, I, I think we've lost our way. Yeah. Is um I've been watching this TV series, Cobra Kai. I was, you know, 80s girl, karate kid. Like that's like the epitome of puberty for me right there. <laughs> and so when Netflix came out with the series Cobra Kai, which is like, you know, Daniel and his arch nemesis, like later in life, and they have these competing dojo karate gyms, so to speak. And I remember this one scene that uh, Daniel was talking with his students and he was having them go through, like, you remember the wax on and the wax off and all of that. Yeah. Those are the fundamentals. And the thing he said in the, in the episode, he said something like, when you master the fundamentals, you can handle anything that comes your way. So getting back to the basics, isn't taking a step back. It's actually mastering your craft. Yeah. Oh my God. I love that. That's perfect. So how do we how do we convince more uh, young women to get into sales? I think it starts with changing how we talk about sales 
like, you know, we talk about um, nailing the target and acquiring the customer and crushing it and, and all of these things. And, and, you know, this really kind of aggressive, pushy, the sleazy, slimy, <laughs> used car language that we've been using for years and talk more about what sales really is, talking with people, solving problems, understanding where they're coming from. That's what sales really is at the end of the day. It's not about the hack or the technique or you know how to use the magic word to get to this particular place. It's about slowing down and understanding people. So if you like to talk to people and you like to solve problems and you like to leave things better off than they are when you found them, that's what sales is. Yeah. And so I think it comes down to changing how we talk about sales. I think it comes down to them seeing more women in sales doing these things. Like ultimately, I fell in love with sales after my, it was a love-hate relationship, right? And I'm, I'm firmly in the love side of it now, but the shift came when I realized that it wasn't about me. It wasn't about what I could do. It was what I enabled other people to do. But I think also it's seeing, like I didn't have any, my sales model growing up was my grandmother who ran a real estate agency in the seventies. Like she was one of the first women owned real estate agencies. Wow. So that was, that was the only model that I had, but you know, at the same time, she was like, she, she never was, she never stopped. She was always on like business cards were everywhere. Um, and so it's still surprisingly that I had a negative perception of sales, but I think that more women who can see other women have the freedom to make the income that the men do have the ability to have the freedom to still have their family and their kids and still be in sales. Um, I think that ultimately what women are looking for is that freedom is that independence and sales is the perfect career to go into for that because it's directly related to how you manage yourself and your efforts is to the results that you get. There is no glass ceiling. In sales, I, I agree. Uh, um, I I totally agree, and that's actually. Uh, and then I'm, I want to talk about your book, but that's actually b- the premise behind our book, my book yep. that's coming out with heels to deals. Um, how women are dominating in business to business sales is, you know, I, I sort of thought, well, what better way to inspire and motivate young women to consider a career in sales and to you know, hear the stories and, you know, get the guidance and advice from women who are at the top of their game. So, yeah, um, yeah I think it's in it, 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 representation matters, right? It does. And, and you can't be what you can't see. So as we, right. you know, as we're out there, all of us, we're all better together. I think as we just collectively are out there and starting to change the narrative, I, I think I'm, I'm hoping um, that we'll start really, yeah being able to close that gap. So talk to me a little bit about your book. Oh, well, so no, one last thing I've been watching the Olympics. Have you been watching the Olympics at all? I have. So have you seen the commercials where there's like the little girls are sitting on the living room floor and they're seeing the women get the gold or get the medal. And like, you can see like, you know, the whole thing and get the inspiration in their eyes. Yes. That's what we need. Like, like I think it's Lori Richardson says this all the time. If they can see it, they can be it. They believe that they can be it. And it's psychological. Like when we see others like us doing things that we want to do, it gives us the confidence to try. So the more we can lift other women up, the more men can lift other women up to see, to see that. I think that that's, what's going to break the barrier mindset there. Um, And so my book, yes, is uh, it's right now it's called buyer first. And it's actually the book that I wish I had 20 years ago before I started my business, right? There are so many 
people who are business owners and entrepreneurs who have this negative perception of sales that they got into their businesses thinking that I, I love what I do and other people are going to see that passion and they're just going to want to buy it. And then they find that that's not the case, that they still have to learn how to sell with other people in order for them to understand the problems that they have and how they best solve them. That's where the book really is foundationally started at. And so I'm, I talk about the new golden rule where it's not about you, it's about your buyer. And how do we change our mindsets about sales? And how do we even change our own in, interpersonal mindsets, like things like need for approval and comfort discussing money? How do we change these mindsets so that we can be the person that our buyers need us to be? So it's written for small business owners and entrepreneurs who are trying to grow their companies, but it's also written for the individual seller who's really just trying to understand why am I hitting this wall? Why am I hitting this roadblock? How do I start changing and shifting my own mindset so that I can do the things that I know that I should be doing, right? Like so much of the work that I do in training and coaching is to answer three questions. Do they know what to do? Can they do it? And then will they do it? So the knowing what they can do, like what are the steps that I need to go through and the questions that I need to ask and, and do I know what I need to do in certain places? Most of us, that knowledge we can find. But it's the can I do it and will I do it? That's the tricky part. The can I do it is, do I have the confidence? Do I have the skill set? Do I have the practice that I can do this? But then the will I do it? That's what happens when we go into a sales call and we practice and we prepared and we know what to do. But then when the question or the objection comes up and we totally flop, that's the right. will I do it part. That's the mindset part. That's the part that even though we know what we should do, we don't do trips us up every time. What most people don't realize is you can change that and you can, you can learn that. And so that's really what this book is about is how do we change those will I do it mindsets so that when we get the things that we know to do, we actually do them in those moments. Um, so there's a lot of interpersonal work happening in the book. I share a lot of my own personal story, a lot of failures, which will probably surprise some people. Some It starts off with the the my sleeping, not being able to go to sleep at night moment in my business. So I think it's something that a lot of people will be able to relate to from business owner to seller to, to even managers who are trying to help their salespeople go through these same things. I, I've always said fail means first attempt in learning. So yes, uh, it, it <laughs> my husband and I, when I first met my husband, we, we were talking with some friends and one of my girlfriends had said to me, because we acted like an old married couple within three months of marry, of meeting each other. And I heard my girlfriend was like, she's like, so are you guys going to get married? And I said, no, not yet. And he heard it from across the room. He's like, yet, yet. <laughs> and it kind of became this mantra for us. Like whenever we would face this challenge or an obstacle or hurdle, it's like, no, I haven't done that yet. Yet. Yet is the key question. Yeah. So, uh, how can our listeners get a hold of you? Uh, and I, I cannot wait to read your book. It sounds I can't awesome. wait to read your book, by uh, the way. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. So um, I'm, I am just loving seeing, um, you know, more books being released by women in, in sales. It's, it's yeah. time. It's overdue, way overdue. Yeah. So um, I think there's exactly. going to be a couple of really good books coming out this year. And um, that are that are written by women uh, in sales. And so I, I love yeah. to see that. So yeah. can't wait to see it. But how can people get a hold of you? 
So the easiest way, I'm on LinkedIn quite a bit these days. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, and then the other probably best way is to go to my website at unboundgrowth.com. I actually sell these t-shirts there and all of the proceeds from the t-shirts goes to uh, the Barbara Guillamanco uh, scholarship oh. for more women to get into sales into universities. So if anybody is interested in supporting more women in sales, that's one way to do it. Um, and I think those are the two best ways, website, LinkedIn, that's the easiest ways to find me. That sounds great. I'm going to have to get uh, some of those shirts for our girls as graduation gifts. So there you go. Uh, yeah, could be kind of fun. So Carol, yeah. thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate all your wisdom and just keep up the amazing work that you're doing. I will. Thank you so much, Heidi. Okay, take care. Bye.